You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Well, amen. I appreciate it. appreciate the opportunity to be here tonight. And uh, I do have a lot of Brother Charles' stories. Brother Charles is my friend. And so that means many of them I can't tell you because he's my friend, and that would dishonor our friendship. Uh, but one, though, that's just the first thing that he said that when he said that, it popped in my head. Uh, there's already been a thorough investigation, so I'm pretty sure I can share it now. Uh, but I remember it was out on the avenue. Brother Charles was teaching Sunday school class, and he had probably had that day probably about 30 fifth uh, and sixth grade boys in a room probably about as big as this pulpit, uh, give or take. And so, I mean, it was just, you know, crazy in there. And somehow a fight broke out between some kids. I remember our teen room was right across the hall. And somebody came and got me. I went in there. And Brother Charles, being the nimble young gentleman he was back then, had one, one kid pushed up against the wall with a hand here and on the other wall with a foot over here in his old kickboxing style there. Had a kid pinned against each wall there, separating them, and just had that just look of, you know, you better step in or I'm going to murder these kids kind of thing all over his face. And so, but I appreciate Brother Charles. And I uh, uh, got my, uh, killed my first deer with Brother Charles, all kinds of good stuff there. Uh, but I appreciate the opportunity to be here tonight. Um, let me just say, first of all, I appreciate uh, the many of you that uh, prayed and have let me know that you prayed for our daughter Mallory when she was sick. Appreciate that very much. It means the world to us. Uh, you know, I've wondered multiple times why the Lord has done, excuse me, get that down a little bit, why he's done what he's done as far as, the, you know, the path that he's led us and, you know, always kind of question why God has moved us when he's moved us and each place that we've been we've seen God bless and know that God had us there for a purpose and I'm sure you know it won't be until heaven we understand all of it but you know whenever she was dealing with this it just really like God it was one of the first things God put on my mind that it was just amazing that while she's in the hospital sick you know our church family in, in Michigan was praying and praying fervently for her I knew that this church here was praying for her I had a church in Wesley Chapel Florida that I knew was praying diligently for her a church in Anderson South Carolina that was praying for her and so that just you know really uh, God just used that in my life to just let me know that it's great to have family all over the place that we knew that was really praying for us when we needed them so I appreciate you praying for us know that we've been praying for you I know man I know this past year there's been you know, a lot of uh, death of some very dear uh, loved ones and friends. And we've, you know, our heart breaks with you and so many dear people to us. I know have went on to be with the Lord. And uh, we've definitely been praying for you and praying with you in those areas. And so uh, this is great to have a church family, uh, even if you're not necessarily living in the same states. This is still family, and we appreciate that. I appreciate Pastor. appreciate the opportunity to uh, preach tonight. Always a great time to just get around him anything, anytime I can. And I mean that genuinely. You know, time just kind of has a way of just really leveling things out. You know, you just kind of, the, the, the longer you live, the, the more time that passes. I mean, you just really begin to uh, appreciate genuine friendships. And, you know, and, and it's just, I, he's been a true friend all these years, and I just thank him so much for his friendship. And I know that I just see some new faces. I don't know how new you are necessarily to the church, but just in case you're wondering, he really is that nice. I know that sometimes you can just think, there's, there's no way he can really be that nice, and it just they're, they're, he's hiding something. <laughs> I'm you, it's been almost six, almost seven years, I guess. He just he really is that nice, and it's just I appreciate his friendship and him and Miss Joanna both. They've just been so good to me and my wife and our family, and so thankful for them and the opportunity to be here uh, tonight. I have the opportunity to stay with our uh, in-laws and my in-laws, Angie's parents, and see them. 
and um, we're staying at their house. I know I got to tread uh, very graciously here, uh, but uh, you know, I honestly don't know what I would do without my mother-in-law. But it is good to dream. So, um, <laughs> you got to be kind though, because. She can, you know, people you have, have that other side of them. And if you, if you rearrange the letter, you'll see that mother-in-law, if you mix up the letters, it actually spells woman Hitler. And so <laughs> it works, figure it does, it works. And so you always got to be careful there. But I love my family, appreciate the time that we get to spend with them. Appreciate the opportunity to preach tonight. If you got to take your Bible and turn to the book of Nehemiah, please. Nehemiah chapter number eight. Nehemiah chapter number eight. We'll begin reading in verse number 1, Nehemiah chapter number 8 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood some people. Verse five. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. All the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And those same people caused the people to understand the law. And the, and the people stood in their place, so they read the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for the Bible. Help us to understand your word tonight. Help me to clearly communicate your words that I might be a help and a blessing to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever um, completed something or maybe finished enduring something, maybe a difficult season of life, or maybe it's just some big project or renovation or just a family situation. You finish completing something or enduring something, and after the fact, you just kind of feel the need to just kind of take a step back and just exhale, you know, just to kind of, you feel the need to almost like treat yourself or to uh, celebrate because of what just happened. I remember I was just kind of thinking of uh, many different examples of that, but you know, just being here, it reminded me uh, every year with our Teen Spectacular. That was one of the great things I loved about Victory Baptist Church was the Teen Spectacular every year. And, you know, that was always a big project for me. It was, you know, as far as making sure all the flyers are made with the pickup spots and where those were going to be in the pickup times and uh, when to have the flyers made and when it was going to be in this school passing out flyers and this school and this school and just, you know, uh, as it became, you know, making sure we had officers at this location and officers at this location and uh, just making sure all of the bases were covered and, you know, the speaker and the lodging is just a big event and all the prizes and the fundraisers. And I remember every year after that was over, 
uh, at least when we first started, before we had kids and when our kids were young, before you know school was a thing, because it being in October, we would always just kind of take a step back. And after that Wednesday night, we would just kind of finally, after we got all the totals, knew all the buses were back and accounted for and everything. It was just kind of, and I remember just, that's usually when we did our family vacation, right? We would leave right after that and take a few days off and just kind of breathe because I'm that kind of person that no matter how many times I write things down, I still can't sleep. I'm afraid I'm going to forget something. And so afterwards, after getting through that, completing that, that was just our time to kind of just step back and just kind of uh, exhale, celebrate, and just kind of feel, feel the need to just get away. Well, here in our text, despite the tireless efforts of the enemy, the wall of Jerusalem was completed and it was completely, completely restored. If you look at the book of Nehemiah, it's divided really into two uh, parts. You have chapters 1 through 6, where it's the rebuilding of the walls. And then chapters 7 through 13 is really the reconstruction of the people of God. And so in chapter 6, the walls are complete. And then in chapter 7, you'll see that Nehemiah immediately gets busy in the task of guarding the work that they had accomplished. And that reminds us that uh, it's just as important and oftentimes more difficult to guard the work as it is to accomplish the work. And it's great to build a work for God and do something great for God and accomplish some great task and to build a ministry. Uh, but, you know, you've, it's been said you know, it takes a lifetime to build a testimony and only one second to destroy it. And so it's just as important and oftentimes way more difficult to guard a work than as it is to accomplish the work. And so chapter seven rolls around. They begin to immediately protect and guard the work that they had finished. You know, there's a difference between starting well and finishing well. Someone said that beginning well is a momentary thing, but finishing well is a lifelong thing. And so Nehemiah understood that, right? The, the wall that they had just completed, they, they completed the wall in just 52 days, right? I mean, that's, that's astounding, right? You have some builders in here. You, you can't even get all your permits in 52 days now. And Nehemiah, they had built the entire wall, finished it, completed it in 52 days. But yet this wall that went up in just 52 days was meant to be their stability, their security, their protection, their national identity for many, many, many years to come. And so it was a quick build, but they had to guard it because it was supposed to last for a long time. So I praise God for the work that he is doing here. But I just want to challenge you this evening, don't take that for granted. All right, I praise God for, man, this morning, you, uh, two baptized here tonight, about three being saved. Praise God for that. That's an amazing thing to, to ha have God doing and working in your midst like that, to see people saved and to see people get baptized and to have people like this morning, uh, full auditorium, people singing out, praising God, the Bible being preached, people responding to the altar. That's fantastic, but don't take it for granted. It's easy to think, well, I mean, that's just, that's just church, right? I mean, that's, that's what happens. Uh, I'm sure other churches see that. That, that. that probably happens all over the place, but it doesn't. There, there's many, many churches across this nation, sadly, that it's been a long, long time since they've seen somebody get saved. That their baptistry is just mostly just Christmas decorations. It's been a long time since anybody's been baptized, since God, God has moved and worked in their midst. I heard of one such church, an old farm, farmer had attended the church. He showed up in his just stained overalls, had some old muddy boots on. And he was in one of those, you know, those highfalutin church, the high steeple few people, you know what I'm saying? And so he, he got into that church. He's sitting there and everybody's just whispering and pointing and looking at him. Finally, the pastor comes up and uh, pulls him aside and says, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but around here, everybody wears their Sunday best to church. And so 
if you're going to come back here, I'd appreciate if you'd maybe just pray and ask God what he thinks you should wear to this church. So the farmer said, okay. Sure enough, the next Sunday he shows up, not just in something similar, but in the exact same clothes. I mean, the same stains in the same spots, same muddy boots. He's sitting there and man, everybody's just kind of bristling and upset about it. And the pastor comes over to him, sits down beside him and says, I thought we had an understanding. I thought you were going to pray and ask God what he thought you should wear to this church if you were going to come back again. The old farmer said, well, I did. The pastor said, you did? He said, well, what did he say? He said, he didn't know. He'd never been to this church before. <laughs> you know, there's a, a lot of churches like that that they've never seen the moving and the working of God like what you saw just here in one day. People baptized and people saved. So I praise God that he's doing a great work here, but don't take it for granted. You must guard the work. So that's chapter 7. Chapter 8, there's a call back to God that was issued and what follows was a mighty revival. And if you know anything about your Bible, Nehemiah chapter 8, a great revival in the Bible. Why don't you look with me at verse number 17. The Bible says, And the congregate, all the congregation of them that were come again out of captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so, and there was very great gladness." Here now the children of Israel, after many years of skipping out and not doing the Feast of the Tabernacles the way that they had been commanded to since the days of Joshua, now they're finally uh, going through with the Feast of the Tabernacles and the children of Israel finally have reason to rejoice. And so tonight that's what I want to talk to you about quickly. You know what it means when a preacher says quickly, absolutely nothing, right? But I want, I want to share with you tonight the two reasons the children of Israel had to rejoice. Two reasons they had to rejoice. Number one, the children of Israel could rejoice because God's people were unified. God's people were unified. Look at verse 1. It says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. Nothing brings God's people together quite like seeing God work in your midst. Right? I mean, it's just something about God using you together to fulfill the Great Commission, to see people saved, to see lives impacted and changed through the gospel, through the, uh, through the word of God, through discipleship. There's just something about experiencing that and having God use you together to see God accomplish his work and his purpose. And I'll tell you, nothing joins and bonds a, a group together quite like seeing God work in your midst. That's why I've noticed that a growing ministry eliminates a lot of squabbling, right? You take a, have a church that's growing, that's reaching out in the community, that's seeing people saved, that's constantly ministering and constantly serving and constantly looking out beyond these four walls into the community and trying to reach people with the gospel. A growing ministry eliminates a lot of squabbling because people that are out soul winning, people that are out knocking doors don't have a lot of time for bickering and complaining and fussing and squabbling when they're busy doing the work of God. I know that's why you'll notice that in a church life, it's usually the people that usually like to cause us stink and stir up trouble aren't the ones that are involved in ministry, right? It's usually not your soul winners that are arguing over the paint colors and the carpet choices. It's not usually the bus captains that are bickering and squabbling, although I've heard you got one here that can be a little, you know, hard to tame sometimes. It's not usually the ones that are in the trenches serving God shoulder to shoulder, laboring and giving their life to serve the Lord that are the ones causing problems. Because a growing ministry eliminates a lot of squabbling. You'll see in chapter 8 that phrase, all the people. You'll find that 11 times in Nehemiah chapter 8. And there's an emphasis there on unity. All the people. 
all the people, not, not some of the people, not half the people, not the staff, not the pastor, all the people, all the people. And that's how it ought to be in church life. Uh, not just the, the pastor and the staff doing all the ministering, doing all the serving, winning all the souls. No, but every member a minister, everybody pulling their way, everybody participating, everybody getting involved in the work of the Lord, everybody serving God. Maybe you've heard it this way. A staff run church is a staff ruin church. And it shouldn't be that way. That just, the, oh, well, we, we're, we're not going to go out and knock doors. That, that's the pastor's job. Right? It's the pastor's job to find people and build the church. You know, we're just supposed to show up and sing and enjoy the service. It's the staff's job to go make sure people show up. No, it's all of our job. If you're saved, it's your job. It's your responsibility. You ought to be going out and finding people, inviting them to church, knocking on doors, giving the gospel, seeing people saved. All the people. We talk about God's people were unified and they could rejoice. But what is the goal of unity? Right? The goal of unity is not it's not to be unified to each other, right? It's not my goal to just find out what you like and try to be like you, right? The goal for unity is not that we're all just the same cookie cutter, everybody's, no personality, everybody's the same, you have to conform to this mold in order to be unified. No, the goal is not to be unified with each other. Our goal is to be in union with God. Our goal is to be unified in union with God. A.W. Tozer a great devotional writer, he said this, he said, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. And that's exactly how it is in the church. If I get alone with God, if I in my own prayer closet, I faithfully reading God's word, faithfully spending time in prayer, faithfully walking with God, faithfully obeying every impulse of the Holy Spirit, trying my best to live a spirit-filled life. And in your own private time, you're doing the same thing. You're reading God's word. You're walking with God. You're praying with God. You're spending time with the Lord. All of us in our separate places spending time with God, then when we come together, we're all in perfect unity because we're not just like each other. We're all like God. Our unity is found not in how much we have in common with each other, but how much like God are we? How Christ-like are you? See, you take the local church, for example. I love this about God's church. I love this about God's design. You look out here tonight, there, there's people from all kinds of different walks of life in this room. People from different uh, economic backgrounds, different social backgrounds, people of different races, ethnicities, people from different geographic locations. I think there's even people from California in here. I, there's just people from all over the place. How can you take people with so many different life experiences and backgrounds and cultural differences? How can you take all these people, put them together in a church body and have unity? It's because of Christ. I think it's just a small glimpse of what heaven's going to be like when people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue are singing praises to God. See, the way we achieve that unity is by each of us being in tune, not with each other, but with God. See, I believe that's where a lot of people, I think especially a lot of pastors, have gotten themselves into trouble. Right? They, they want to run around and they want to try to appease the crowd. And so they'll come over to this side and they'll be like, now wh what is it that you want in a church? And, and how do you want the music to be? And how long do you want the service to be? And well, oh, what are you looking for in a children's ministry? And how, are, how do you want your teen department to be? And they're trying to appease everybody and trying to be in tune with everybody individually. And if you do that, you're just going to go crazy. Right? You, you cannot please everybody. 
But if I'm right with God and you're right with God and you're right with God and you're right with God all the way down the line, we can have unity because we're in tune, not with each other, but with God. So that's the goal of unity. This means that you don't have to have everything in common with somebody to be unified with them, right? To, to serve with them, to be kind to them, to show compassion to them. That means I can still love you even though we don't see eye to eye on college sports. We don't have to be just alike to be in tune, to serve together, to love one another, to fulfill God's plan together. If our unity is in Christ, though, that means that just because we're all here together tonight and there's no fighting, there's no fussing, there's no feuding going on, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have unity, right? I mean, that's a great thing, but that, that unity is not just the absence of conflict. There can be union without unity. If you don't believe me, take two cats, tie their tails together, and throw them over a clothesline, right? There, there's union, but there's no unity. And so our goal is not about just a lack of fighting and a lack of fussing. No, our goal is to be in tune with God, to be walking with God, obeying every impulse of the Holy Spirit, living a Spirit-filled life. And I want to tell you, there's some power in unity. I mean, we can see what they were able to accomplish because they were unified. That phrase, all the people 11 times, and we see that they were able to accomplish the the completion of the wall in just 52 days. I mean, that's just unfathomable to think. In spite of all the conflict and persecution and obstacles that they faced, right? Read, read the book of Nehemiah. We're talking about people that were building a wall with one hand. They're laying bricks with one hand. They got a sword fighting off the enemy with the other. They got a plan in place that if, if the enemy attacks, you blow the trumpet, everybody else, you stop what you're doing, you run to that place, and you fight for your brother. With all that persecution going on, they finished the wall in 52 days because there's power in unity. I tell you, God has promised us great power and great blessings when we're unified. Now, take the book of Acts. And you just see what God was able to accomplish with this misfit band of disciples that had all kinds of different backgrounds and walks of life. And you got somebody that's uh, a very zealot Jew of Jews over here, and you've got a tax collector over here, and how in the world are they going to get along, and how are they going to minister together? And God did great things. God used those disciples, and what the Bible says is they turned the world upside down. You take on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says they were of one accord, and yet and we saw 3,000 people saved on the day of Pentecost because the disciples were of one accord. There's power in unity. One thing you may not know about me is I'm a, a very passionate lover of literature. Uh, yeah, maybe you might find that boring, but for me, I mean, I mean I'm a voracious reader of the classics. And in one such classic, uh, Peanuts cartoon, <laughs> Lucy demanded that Linus change the TV channels. She walked in, threatening him with her fist. And he says, what makes you think you can just come in here and take over? And Lucy says, these five fingers. Individually, they're nothing. But when I coil them together like this, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Linus says, what channel? On his way out of the room, he walks away, looks at his hand, he says, why can't you guys get unified like that? I tell you, there's great power in unity. God has promised the blessings if we're of one accord. God has promised the blessings, the power, if all the people were unified and all the people band together. I tell you tonight, I know this might you know, be... Sensitive maybe for topic for some churches around it's been in this day and age, but God never intended his church to retreat, to cower, to simply hold on until Jesus comes. 
No, God has promised us power. God has promised us his blessing. God has promised that he will go with us. God has promised to equip us to fulfill what he's called us to do. And God's church was never intended to retreat, to cower, or simply hold on. We have great power available to us if we're all just simply in tune with God. So the children of Israel, great time of rejoicing taking place. And one of the reasons they could rejoice is because God's people were unified. Number two, we see they could rejoice because God's word was proclaimed. We see that through verses 3 through 12. They're saying they're, they're bringing the book of the law and they read it before the people from morning till midday. That's a long time. I, I, I'm going to try to wrap it up before the Waffle House closes, but that, that's a long time. From morning till midday. They're reading the Bible. They got somebody there giving, giving the sense. They're explaining God's word. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what God meant by that. And they're explaining God's word to them. It had been a long time since someone had declared, thus saith the Lord. And if you look at the condition that the people were in, it's no surprise. The condition that the people were in when the message got to Nehemiah, remember that caused him to weep and mourn for several days before the king, so much that the king could tell that there wasn't something, there was something that just wasn't right about Nehemiah, no matter how much he tried to hide it. That, that condition of his people that caused him to weep and mourn because they were persecuted, they were afflicted, the walls were torn down and the city was burned. If you look at the condition of the people, it's no coincidence. No Bible, no victory. No Bible, no joy. No Bible, no identity. No Bible, no unity. The book of Ephesians lists the uh, armor of God. So it's to take on the whole armor of God. And one of the things it says, it says, having your loins girt about with truth. You know, the truth, the Bible, God's word, God's truth is the belt that holds everything together. If you don't have that, you've got nothing. You've got to have the truth of God's word. And God's word has to be proclaimed. God's word has to be read. God's word has to be preached. And it had been a long time since the children of Israel had had anybody to stand up and declare, thus saith the Lord. See, it's not our personal preferences. It's not our personality that matters. It's the truth. It's the truth. And may God help us to to mature in our faith, to mature as believers, as discerning Christians that say, you know what? Great, if I can go to church and I can laugh and have a great time, wonderful. But I'm going for the truth. I'm not going to be entertained. I'm not going to see a show. I'm going to hear the truth. I'm hungry for the truth. I want the truth. I've got to have the truth. We need to understand that it's the truth of God's word that is paramount in the ministry. I want to just say I hope you praise God for your pastor who faithfully and passionately delivers God's word. And what an awesome message this morning. Straight from the Bible. So many people today, I mean, once again, you have this, you just think it's just there and everybody has this. But he's not going to the USA Today to find what trendy topic he should talk about. He's not going to the sword of the Lord to wipe the dust off of some old sermon and give it. He's going to the Bible and faithfully and passionately gives you the Bible week in and week out. You ought to praise God to have a pastor that faithfully preaches the Bible. That ought to be something that's driving every ministry here. It's not just what goes on in the auditorium, but in every Sunday school class, every junior church, the, uh, the youth ministries, everything, the goal. Sure, there might be a bunch of other stuff, 
You know, I, I do chapel services at our, at our Christian school there. I do junior and senior high chapel. And, you know, I usually do some kind of crazy game and we'll do something to make it fun. And, you know, you talk about, you know, early days, you got to uh, talk to some of the teenagers. I don't know about that. Uh, I, I just want to just, if I haven't said it yet, I'm sorry to all the parents that had teenagers in the, like the first couple of years. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't know what a youth department was supposed to be like. You know, I was just, I preached the Bible and I tried to make church fun. And I remember some of our early games in teen church uh, revolved around a uh, dog shock collar. And so I'll just leave it at that. I didn't know that was frowned upon. You know, I just, so sorry. But you know what? Even in the midst of shocking kids with shock collars or having them feed each other Cheetos with their toes, the Bible was preached. Everything ought to drive people to the truth of God's Word. We ought to constantly be finding ways to get the Bible into the hearts and lives of people. The ministry of the Word of God is essential to your walk with God. I've heard a lot about that word essential over the past year and a half, right? The ministry of the Word of God is essential to your walk with God. Can I say this tonight? I want you to hear me. Jesus Christ is not preeminent in your life the Word of God is not prominent in your life. The Bible says in all things that Jesus Christ, He is to have the preeminence. Meaning He's not just supposed to be one of the things on your list. He is the list. He's the filter through which everything else makes it on the list. And He's to have the preeminence. But Jesus Christ is not preeminent in your life if the Word of God is not prominent in your life. It doesn't matter how much you put on Facebook about how much you love Jesus. If the Bible is not prominent in your life, then Jesus Christ is not preeminent in your life. Here are the people, they needed revival. They needed God's word. Because no matter how awesome this, the building of the walls was, and it was glorious, it was a reason to shout and see the victory and rejoice in what God had done, but no matter how great the building of the walls was, it wasn't going to be enough. It can never be enough. No, no victory, no, no accomplishment, no thing that we can do uh, would ever be enough. They needed revival. They needed God's word. Someone once said, there's no experience in our Christian life which imparts to us strength for the future. It leaves us just as poor and helpless and needy as before. I think a great Bible example of that is the Mount of Transfiguration. Right? You, have, you have Peter, James, and John. They're up there with Jesus, and they see Jesus in his glory, and Elijah and Moses up there, and Peter, in his most Peter-like fashion, begins to say things without thinking first. And he's like, Lord, it's good for us to be here, and let's build a tabernacle for you and Elijah and Moses. And Peter experienced that wonderful thing, and I'm sure that it left an impact on his life. So much so that later when writing his epistle, he referenced that event. But even Peter, having seen that, having experienced that glory moment, recounts that moment, but then follows it up with this, that we have a more sure word of prophecy. Peter says, no, as great as that event was, God's word is greater. God's word is greater than my recollection of past experiences and past events. How many of you understand by now, sometimes you don't always remember things exactly how they happen, right? How many of you realize that your wife will remind you when you're remembering it diff differently? Sometimes we don't always recall things as they happen. And so Peter says, look, I was there. I saw that. That was great. It changed my life. But before I'm going to put my, any stock in that, we have a more sure word of prophecy. You see, a close encounter with God always leaves us walking away with a renewed sense of our own corruption. Anytime I have a time where I'm reading God's Word and I'm digging into the Bible and I feel like God's speaking to me, I never come out of that going, man, I'm holy. 
Right? I, I never feel like, well, man, I'm really getting this, the Christian life thing now. No, anytime I get close to God, I always just come away like Isaiah saying, woe is me. Right? Like, like Paul in the book of Romans says, within me that is it within my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Think of the children of Israel had this great mountaintop experience of Jericho only to have defeated Ai. Right? No, no experience is ever going to be enough. And so just building the walls would have never been enough for the children of Israel to sustain their growth, to sustain their, their fervor and their passion for God. They had to have the Bible. They had to have the Word of God. So how many of us loudly proclaim our love and our loyalty to God while we're desperately unfaithful to that which He's called us to do? He's called us to read our Bible. He's called us to pray. He's called us to be faithful to church, to be a faithful witness, to be a soul winner. Here are the children of Israel. They were the ones, they desired it. They desired God's word. In verse number one, it was the, all the people, it was the group that asked for it. They said, bring the book. The work of God and the word of God are inseparable. If you're ever going to see God at work in your life, it's going to be a, a centered around your relationship with the Bible. You make much of the Bible and God will make much of you. And it's always going to be on what we do with God's word. Bringing the book must be our cry today. See, what is it that you desire? Do you desire a godly life? Do you desire a powerful witness? Do you desire a pure testimony? Do you desire a vibrant ministry here within your church? These things can only be accomplished by a genuine return to the book, to the Bible, having God's word proclaimed, receiving God's word into our lives as it's supposed to be. Here are these folks, they were unified in their desire for the word of God. They desired it. Secondly, they were attentive to it. In verse number three, it says that, uh, that they read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. They were attentive to just the reading. Nobody's giving illustrations. Nobody's telling jokes. Nobody's even preaching the Bible. They're just reading it. And the Bible says they were on every word. I mean, they were just on the edge of their seat. They're just foaming at the mouth for more of it. They could not get enough. They were attentive to the reading. It reminds us that the ears hear what the heart loves. You know, I, I, I get the whole idea of multitasking. You know, I understand, you know, uh, you can be watching uh, college football and my wife can be talking and it may not look like I'm getting it. We, you know, I, I hear her and I, I get it. And if, if, if something is of importance, I'll respond. But, you know, it, it's soaking in. I can do both, right? I can multitask. But I'm telling you, a multitasking approach to your Christian life or a multitasking form of Christianity towards the Bible, that's never going to bring revival in your life. If you can't make it through a, a service without checking your Facebook feed, you've got to constantly uh, do different things, and at the same time, instead of giving God your attention, that kind of approach to the uh, Bible reading or to, to the church, to Christianity, is not going to bring revival in your life. These folks, they were attentive to it. They had respect for it. In verse number 5, the Bible says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. You see them, they stand up for the reading of it. Later you'll see them with their faces to the ground, raising their hands when they didn't need to go to the bathroom. I mean, they're, just, they're, they're passionate, they're, they're loving it, they had a respect for it. Your desire and your attentiveness show how much respect you have for it. And so we see next that they had the right response. Verses 5, verse 19, verse 13, the Bible says that they said, Amen, Amen, showing they were in agreement. Remember, they're reading the law. They're reading pretty much a lot of things that they hadn't been doing or they had been doing wrong. And instead of saying, well, that was back then or, you know, that, 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 that's so-and-so. That doesn't apply to me. No, they were like, Lord, that's me. 
I, that's me. I need to change. I've been wrong. I should have been doing that. I've not been what you want me to be. They were in agreement. They had a right, the right response to it. They were broken over their sin. Praise God for a church that still give altar calls and we have an opportunity to come before uh, God and do business with God and talk to the Lord about what He's talked to us. I want to encourage you, make, make much use of that. These folks, they saw great things happening because they had the right response to the Word of God. God dealt with their hearts, so they went and they did business with God. They received joy as a result of it. See, in verse 10, it talks about the joy of the Lord. You know, the joy of the Lord with its strength can only be ours if we know something of the Word of the Lord. And so if we don't have the word of the Lord in our life, don't expect to have the joy of the Lord. In verse number 10, he tells them, neither be ye sorry. You know, when God's word is proclaimed, it's natural to have some conviction, right? That's a good thing. When God speaks to your heart and you're convicted over your sin, here these folks, like I said, the Bible was being read, the law of God was being read, and it's just like everything that was coming out of Ezra's mouth was like, oh, oh, you know, we've not been doing that. Oh my goodness, we're, we're, we're out of line. We're living in sin. And so you see here that they were convicted and they were weeping. And Ezra and Nehemiah's response here was, neither be ye sorry. You see, the whole, the, the, Satan wants to take Holy Spirit conviction and use it to keep you down and convince you that, you that it can't be done, that you can't do it. Look how many times you failed, right? Holy Spirit conviction will draw us to wanting to get back on track. Satan wants to use that conviction to keep you down and convince you it can't be done and you're a bum and why would God ever want to use you? But it's always a comfort to me to recognize that the things that shock me about myself never shock God. Right? There's never been a time when God, I've done something and as, as disappointed as I was in myself, there's never been a time where God thought, if I would have only known he was going to do that back before I saved him. I'd say, I, I, oh, if I could just go back and not save this guy. I'm like, I can't believe he did that again. No, why should we allow Satan to drag up before our minds that which is put away forever out of, my, out of the mind of God? Don't allow it to happen. The Holy Spirit's conviction is always to draw you towards the Lord and towards service, not to make you feel guilty and keep you away from God. Look how Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Right? The joy of the Lord was their strength only because of the word of the Lord. So the walls were complete, and they finally had something to celebrate. And it wasn't just about the walls either. God's people were unified. Man, I thank God that this church is unified about seeing people saved. And talking about having three people saved this week and seeing people follow the Lord in baptism. That's, that's an amazing thing. I ought to be unified around the idea of reaching people with the gospel. Can I ask you tonight, if God was to answer every prayer that you've prayed in the last seven days, how many people would be saved? Or would you just be happier and healthier and wealthier? May God help us to be unified around the things that really matter. So the walls were complete and they had something to celebrate. God's people were unified and God's word was proclaimed. So let me ask you tonight, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Maybe somebody would be here today and you say, I don't know for sure. I can't give Bible reasons as to why I know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. Let somebody take a Bible and share with you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven when you die. But if you're saved, let me ask you, are you contributing to a spirit of unity or are you hindering it? So why I'm not you know causing any problem? That's not what I asked. Are you contributing to a spirit of unity? How's your own personal walk with God? Are you in tune with the Lord? Or, or when you come here, do you feel out of place because you've not been walking with God? You've not been in tune with God in your own private prayer closet. Are you contributing to the spirit of unity, or are you hindering it? Remember, our unity comes as we're all in tune with God. And then last, let me ask, what's your relationship with the Bible? 
It's maybe a good way to see if we're in tune with God. What's your relationship with the Bible? Do you have a desire for it? How's your attentiveness to it? Do you have a respect for it? How's your response to it when you read it to when you hear it preached and taught? Your joy or lack thereof is a good indicator of your relationship to God's word. If you're just constantly just struggling, say, man, I just have no joy in my life. Go back and examine your relationship with God's word. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength, but you're not going to know the joy of the Lord apart from the word of the Lord. So these people, man, they were rejoicing. God's people were unified. God's word was proclaimed. And these are both things that we can have here. You can have here in your church, in your life. God can have you as a body of believers. It doesn't matter where all you come from and what you've done with your, uh, in your life and your different experiences. God can take this, this body of believers and unify you in such a way that you can just completely just flip the, the, this community upside down with the gospel. And that's what he desires to do. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.